You'll want to find the text. It's in the book of Hosea, chapter 2. And I want to read verses 13 through 15 and then go to chapter 3 and read the first two verses. Really, the second chapter is, a, is the text, but I'm not going to read it for, t- for time's sake. I'd like to, and it's important to do that. Uh, so I want you to read that sometime today. But for the sake of time, read verses 13 and 15 with me. And I will punish her... He's talking about Israel because Israel has committed the sin of spiritual adultery and have gone after other lovers, after other gods. Baal is the God he's talking about. And I will punish her for the days of the Baals when she used to offer sacrifices to them and adorn herself with her earrings and jewelry and follow her lovers so that she forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Would you underline that statement? And the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. Now verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. The book of Hosea is one of the most dynamic books in the Old Testament. And the messages of Hosea alternate between the passions of the divine heart and the perversion of the human will. The second chapter of the book of Hosea is a message that Hosea preached to the nation of Israel that God gave him to preach. And yet the language of this message is... A, is, is is the result of his own, the bitterness of his own heart and the tragedy of his, and the sorrow through which he passed. Now some of you may not be familiar with the personal tragedy of Hosea's life. This is what happened. He married a young woman by the name of Gomer and at the time of their marriage she was pure and chaste and their marriage went well through the birth of their first child, a boy they named Jezreel. But it wasn't long after that and a a shadow began to be cast over the life of Hosea. And so when their second child, a girl, was born, Hosea enigmatically named her Loruhamah, which according to George Adam Smith, the, the British theologian, was a name that meant she who never knew her father's love. She was not, he was not her real father. And by the time their third child, a son, was born, the dark truth, the fact of her adultery was was evident and plain. And so Hosea named that third son Lo-Ami, which means no kin of mine, this is not my son. And it wasn't long after that until the marriage structure itself collapsed 
And Gomer went off after her lovers to find what they had promised her. Now, it is not possible for one to describe the anguish that the prophet must have felt. I hope that you can enter into it in your emotion and mind. Just imagine what went on in this man's life. He was disappointed and betrayed as a husband. He was rejected as a man. And he was humiliated in the eyes of the community. And he was left for the, with the care of three small children, two of whom were not even his own. And a lesser man would have literally crumbled under such an avalanche. And it is to the credit of this prophet that he endured and went on. But he did more than that. He not only endured, but he grappled with this most intimate disappointment. And out of his grappling emerged insights. As a matter of fact, insights which became permanent advances in his understanding of God. And so this morning I want to introduce to you, if you have never met him, the God Hosea came to know in the midst of his tragedy. He is a God who suffers when his people are untrue. Now it must have come to the mind of Hosea in the darkness of his solitude. It must have been like the flash that comes when someone switches the light. God loves Israel like I love Gomer. Therefore, look what our nation has sin has done to him. And it must have echoed down the dark corridors of his solitude. Look what our nation has done to him, done to him, done to him. Faber uttered a profound truth when he sang, There is no place where earth's sorrow is felt more than in heaven. And Ian McLaren was right when he said that God is the chief sufferer of the universe. Has it ever occurred to you that there is no aggregate of suffering except in God? Let me illustrate. I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. We have a friend who is in trouble. But there is no way you can take the the combination of that trouble and add it together and say that the result is three times greater than the trouble of one. There is no aggregate in human suffering, only in God. He feels our suffering, my suffering, and your suffering, and His suffering. For all of earth's sorrow is felt in the heart of God. For love forever suffers when the loved suffer. And I think right there is where the great difference between my love at its highest and God's love lies. For you see, God doesn't suffer because He is hurt. God suffers because when we sin, we are hurt. He suffers because He knows what sin does to us. I love, and when, I, when, when, when the one I love is untrue, I suffer. Why? Because I'm hurt. I'm betrayed. I've loved and lost that love. I've had my phone ring hundreds of times to hear some anguished husband or wife describe the betrayal of a, of a, of a spouse. When I was pastoring out in West Texas, there was a man who would call me just about every night, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I'd answer the phone, you know, and it's barely awake. He'd say, I know that I shouldn't call. I apologize. Please forgive me. 
but I just can't stand it any longer. He said, I am hurt so deeply by the betrayal of my wife. He said, I've got to talk to somebody or I'm going to die. He was hurt because he was betrayed. And there is an element of self in our suffering and our love, but not in God's. God doesn't suffer like that. He doesn't suffer because he has been wounded. He suffers because he knows that we are suffering, that we have been wounded. Now, that young man that called me in the middle of the night, not one time did he ever say, not one time did he ever say, my wife is suffering tonight and is unhappy, and so I'm brokenhearted. He, didn't ever, he never said that. What he did say was the exact opposite. How could she hurt me like this? God doesn't suffer like that. He hurts because we hurt, and we hurt. Listen, folks, listen carefully. Whenever you sin against God, you pay a great price. There's a tremendous consequence. There's a tremendous troubling when a man betrays the highest love. When you betray the highest trust, you pay a great price for it. The, prof the prophet only had to say one phrase, and every Jew who heard him was rocked back on his heels. And the phrase he used was the one I underlined, the valley of Achor, and they immediately knew what he was talking about. For well, they knew that was the place where Achan sinned, betrayed the love of God and sinned against him. And God came in swift judgment and killed Achan and his family. And the battle of Ai was lost. And because of their sin, God, Joshua took Achan's body and his families and buried, in this, buried it in this valley, named the valley Achor after Achan. The word Achor in the Hebrew means troubling. So when, when, when Hosea said... In the valley of Achor, they understood that when you sin as Gomer sinned against the highest love that is in the universe, you enter into this valley of suffering, this valley of troubling. It's written in the law of the universe. E. Stanley Jones in his book, Christ of Every Road, says, we don't break the laws of the universe, we break ourselves on those laws. What he meant was that written into the law of the universe was such that a man cannot escape that sequence. When he sins against God, he enters into the valley of suffering, into the valley of troubling. Solomon said, Can a man take fire into his laps and his, and his clothes be not burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And if you read the prophets, you'll find that that troubling comes in three ways. It comes in misery. We've sinned against God and we're bored, blasé, and burned out. We're miserable people. I read somewhere recently that the demand for alcohol and drugs is greater in the United States than in any other nation in the world. We've sinned against God and we've lost our innocence. We're blasé, bored, and burned out. Miserable people. It comes in the form of disappointment. The end result of sin is disappointment. The fun of sin is its anticipation. The fact of sin is its disappointment. It never really delivers on its promise. It's never what we think it is. The Dallas Cowboys are trying out a new free agent. I hope he makes it. They need all the help they can get. He played football out in Midland, Texas when I was uh, pastoring out in West Texas. He went to Nebraska and made All-America. He became a pro ball player. His name is Junior Miller. His story was in the Dallas Morning News just recently. Told about when he got to the top, he started drinking. 
He drank. He looked forward to the end of, his, of, the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the practice, and he'd head to the bars. His wife wouldn't let him bring liquor in the house, and so he's got to where he'd just drive out somewhere alone on a country road and drink until he could think or stand up no longer. And one night he said, I, I, I read it, one night he said, I was sitting out in the car drinking, and I was thinking to myself, I never thought it would be like this. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That word wage is an interesting word in the Greek. It's, it's a word that means substitute pay. And it refers to a practice in the Roman Empire. When the Romans would gather up these soldiers and conscript them to serve, they would promise them certain pay. But what they produced wasn't what they promised. What they delivered was, was, wasn't what they promised. It was always inferior to the promise. It was called substitute pay. The, the, the substitute pay of sin is death. Sin promises life and delivers death. Death to everything that's high and noble. Death to every value and good. Death to every relationship that's important. And finally, death to God. It's never what it, we thought it'd be. And the consequence of that sin comes in moral confusion. Watch this. The thing that Hosea grappled with was this. How could, how could a woman leave her husband who adored her? How could she do that? How could a woman leave her children that, that, that loved her and trusted her? How could she do that? And he grappled with that. How could she walk out and leave this? How can Israel, God was asking, walk away from me and go after other lovers after all I've done? And if you read the book of Hosea, you'll find some of the most tender language of any book in the Bible. And he said, I taught Ephraim how to go, taking her by the arms. Like a father, he said, I was there when she took her first step. I took the yoke off of her, he said, and gave her something to eat. Like a, like a farmer, I took, the beast, I took the burden off of my beast and gave this helpless animal something to eat. I allured her in the wilderness and gave her the wedding night. I loved her like a lover. And there's high romance in that. How could Israel walk away from that? How can we? And as Hosea grappled with the question, how could Gomer leave me? He came to this answer. It was the answer Jesus articulated from the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And his answer was this, that the profound problem was a profound, a profound ignorance of where the good is. Now watch this. I'm sure that when Gomer left home, she thought, this is what's best for me. This is what I need. This is what I'm looking for. This is why I've anticipated. This is what's going to be for me. I'm going after these lovers. I'm going to find their promise. This is what I need. That's what she thought. And that profound miscalculation of judgment was her undoing. For you see, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. Fosdick has this marvelous sermon which he tells about a man who left New York City and headed for Detroit, traveled all day long and wound up in Kansas City, caught on the wrong bus. Now he just knew that this was going to be the means to the end. He just knew that that was the right path for him, that was the right route for him, but the end, the end wasn't what he thought. 
Peter Lord has a sermon in which he says, what if, you, what if you get to the top of the ladder and find out that the ladder's leaning against the wrong house? Pretty, pretty profound. What if you climb to the top of the ladder and you get to the top of the ladder and you find that the ladder's leaning against the wrong house? What if, what if you get where you're going? Where will it be? Moral confusion of sin is that we, we, we make a profound mistake about where the good really is. Now, God suffers. God, God suffers when His people are untrue. Now, I've preached most of my time on point one, so I've got to hurry and get point two. Second point. God loves us in spite of our sin. Oh, I want you to get God loves us in spite of our sin. Now, this is what God told Hosea to do. He said, I want you to go and love again. Now, notice, underline the word, love again. You see, Hosea loved her when she was, when she was worthy and he loved her when she was worthless. He loved her when she was lovely, and he loved her when she was unlovely. He loved her when she was the honor of his life, and he loved her when she was his shame. And God said, I'm just like that. I heard about two old fellows talking. One said to the other, he said, Now come on, be honest. If you had it all to do over again, would you marry the same woman again? The old fellow answered his friend and said, You mean like she was or like she is? <laughs> well, we change, don't we? <laughs> like she was or like she is. You see, God loves us like we were and like we are. And that love never alters and never changes. Now let me show you how worthless she became. And here comes Hosea down into the marketplace where the slaves are being sold and Caesar. And he calls the auctioneer, he calls the slave trader over to the side. He said, how much, how much for that slave? No, 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 that one there, there, right there. Yeah, that, that woman right there. How much for her? And the slave trader had a smirk on his face and his smile. He said, you're going to get a bargain, boy. I'm going to let you have her for half price. Fifteen shekels of silver is half the price of a slave. I'm going to let you have her at a bargain. And a homer and a half of barley, that's, the, that's, that's exactly the ration of a slave for one day. I'm going to let you have her at a bargain. Nobody wants her. She's spent. She's useless. She's, she's spent up. Yeah, yeah, if you want her, brother, you can have her at a bargain. Let me tell you something. When everybody else writes you off, the Bible says even when your mother writes you off and says he's a lost cause and he, he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's, he's of no value and they put this price tag on you, it says bargain. You know, these red tags and, and, they, and, they, and they put this tag on you and they throw you over in that pile of the discarded and say this is a bargain half price, worthless, no, no, out of date, no value. When that happens to you by everybody in this world, including your mother, God said, I still love you. What a wonderful and glorious hallelujah truth. One last thought. He's a God who pursues the sinner to restore him. That's the heart of the gospel. That's what the gospel is all about. He said, go and get her back. Go and bring her back. He's a God who pursues the sinner in order 
to restore him. Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine. Are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, This of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. I go to the desert to find my sheep. And up from the desert, thunder riven, up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry to the gates of heaven, Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne, Rejoice, 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 for the Lord brings back His own. He's a God who pursues the sinner to bring Him back. It's what the old Puritan called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is, it means that the grace got there before you did. The grace got there first. So that before you ever left Him, He was searching for you and pursuing you. Before you ever repented, He was pursuing you, this hound of heaven, preveniently. This grace got there before you did. And you say, well, how does He pursue us? Well, the text says He pursues us in our troubling. Watch this. He said, the door of trouble will be a door of, the valley of trouble will be a door of hope. You know what that means? That means that the fact of your troubling, the fact of your suffering, the fact that when you sin against God, you enter into the valley of trouble, that very fact becomes the door of your redemption, the door of your hope, the door of your salvation. man came in my office. He was out of the will of God. He said, you know, I don't think I'm saved. He said, I don't believe I've ever been saved. He said, God is just dealing with me in conviction about being lost. He said, I I don't think I've ever been saved. And so we sat down and got to talking. You know what was the problem? He was out of the will of God and the troubling of his heart was not God saying, I'm not in, in you. It was the greatest evidence that he was saved. And I said, well, the very fact, look, the very fact that you're in this valley of troubling is evidence that you are saved. And that door, that, that valley of trouble, that, that misery that you're in is your hope. Now, we don't equate the two. We say, in spite of trouble, I have hope. But God said, because of the trouble, you have hope. And so Gomer said, in the midst of her trouble, I'll go to my husband. And the Bible says there arose a famine in the land and the prodigal, what, began to be in want. He was in the valley of trouble and he said, I will arise and go to my father. If you're in the valley of trouble today, listen, hope stands at the door. Now it is a a door of hope and that means responsibility. It means I'm going to have to go through the door. I visited a guy in the hospital one day and he told me about all of his hospitalizations, showed me all of his scars, some I didn't want to see. He told me about all the problems he'd been through the last years of his life. Then he said this, very insightfully he said, I know that God's put me here. He said, I'm out of the will of God. He said, God has caused all this. He said, I know that. God's been trying to get my attention. He said, God's trying to get me to come back. He said, I, I'm going through this because God's dealing with me. He said, I know that. And I said, well, man, do something about it. I said, 
<laughs> you know, that's pretty stupid. I mean, you, you, that, that troubling was the door of hell. I said, let's repent. Let's get back to God. Let's get this right. You don't have to, he didn't have to do it anymore for you to catch on. You already said that's the problem. You know what he said? He said, I'm not ready to do that yet. I'm not ready to do that yet. Let me show you something. I don't know whether you ever thought of this or not. We don't know what Gomer decided to do. We don't know what she decided. We don't know whether she responded to Hosea's offer of love or not. You ever thought about that? Now, I know we've preached hundreds of sermons on Hosea, and in every one of those sermons, we have Hosea going back home with, I mean, Gomer going back home with Hosea and living happily ever after. We don't know she did that or not. We don't know how she responded to his love. Now, it seems incredible that Gomer would not respond to, to Hosea's offer of love. It seems incredible that she would not respond to that, that she would spurn that offer of love. That seems incredible, but we do it all the time. It seems incredible that a man could look into the face of God stained with, his, with blood on his brow, eyes anguished because of man's sin and his suffering, mouth parched with blazing thirst, with nails riven in his hands, a side that's been pierced. It's incredible that a man could look at that offer of love from God and do what the author of the book of Hebrews said, trample that blood as dirt. It's incredible that we could do that, but we do it all the time. It's amazing to even think that Gomer would not say, if you still love me, I'll go home with you for the rest of my life if you'll get me out of this misery and mess, out of this valley of trouble. And what we don't know that she did that because the tendency of humanity is to spurn every offer of love. Incredible and incredulous as that is. You know what that proves? It underlines the fact that love is powerful but not absolute. And that is the greatest terror in life. It means that God will not bludgeon you into the kingdom. He will woo you and He'll persuade you and He'll forgive you and He'll manifest His love to you. But the response is up to you. It means that God is power, but He's also love, which says that He will take no for an answer. He will take no for an answer. And that's why there is a hell. For you see, hell is not a monument to God's wrath. Hell is a monument to God's love. For that monument says, I will let you stay out in the darkness forever before I'll force you into the light. For the bottom line is that a man has the choice to respond to the God's love or reject it. Now let's forget about Gomer and let's get down to where we are. What are you going to do with his offer of love today? I want you to know that he suffers because of your sin.
but He loves you nonetheless. And He puts you through and permits you to go through the valley of Achor in order to win you back, in order for you to say yes in response to His love. Would you do that this morning? There are some people here who have never trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Some have never done it publicly. There are some this morning who need to join the church. There are others who, just like Gomer, have loves that have come between you and the Lord, and you've gone after all that those loves have promised. But all they're able to deliver is misery, disappointment, and moral confusion. And I'll ask you this morning to come back to Him. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that in this moment of invitation that every response will be a response to love with a corresponding love. And may sin be left behind in our hurry and haste to grace. Because I pray in Jesus' name for His sake. Now in a spirit of prayer, we're going to have an invitation. We invite you to come publicly this morning. Would you come while we stand to sing?